<laughs> I want to share with you tonight an encouraging message. It was a message that was never sent. In fact, it may be a message that you've never heard before. It may be the most encouraging message that you never heard. And I believe this message is directly from the heart. It's an encouraging message. It's going to encourage us. It's going to energize us. It's going to make us feel good about ourselves. It's easy to preach a message like that. It's hard to preach a message that's a rebuke, that's a correction, that's an instruction. But we have to do it sometimes. But tonight's message, God put this on my heart to encourage you. Encouragement is so vital for the body of Christ. We all need encouragement. In fact, me and Donna was in Texas last week. And we saw some geese flying over, and they were honking. And Donna goes, I wonder why geese honk. And I was like, I don't know. Let's look it up. So we Googled it. And surprisingly, it was very interesting. Geese fly in a V pattern. And because of that V pattern, it increases the range that they fly by 71%. That's significant. If your car gas mileage was increased by 71%, that's significant. If you get 20 miles to a gallon, you would get 32 miles to a gallon, which doesn't seem too significant. But if you travel a trip that's 400 miles, then all of a sudden you can go 700 miles. And if geese are flying 4,000 miles, then they could fly 7,000 miles. So it brings us back to the question, why do they honk? Geese actually honk to encourage each other. Geese honk, when you hear a geese honking, he's saying, go, man, go, go, keep going. And if you can't do it, roll out and I'll get there. They honk and they encourage in each other. So when you hear geese passing over, know that they encourage in each other. And we're going to do that tonight. We're going to encourage each other. I'm so tired of seeing my brothers and sisters and family getting pressed down, getting beaten down, getting alone and isolated and neglected. You know, we, we get pressed down in life and situations come up. We get pressed and depressed and oppressed and repressed. But Paul said, even though we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed, we are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down and not destroyed. So I have a very important message to give you tonight. Has anybody ever... Let's use the example, been at work or, or had to get an important message out very quick. You may get to the end of your day and realize, well, I have to work overtime. So hurry. I text my wife. I'm going to be late tonight working overtime. So one, two, three hours later, I'm pulling up at home and I walk in and she's pretty perturbed and upset. This didn't happen. This is logical. But I look on my phone and it says, message failed to send you know could you imagine she's nervous worried where I'm at or you may be at work and there's an important email that you have to send vital to the company's business it may be something in sales it may be a project that you're working on you get to work the next day you get called in the office chewed up one side down the other because you didn't fulfill your mission you didn't do your job something happened you look on your phone and there the, the message is still in the outbox. Never got sent. A vital message, critical, important. It could have been a big sale. It could have meant more business for the company, but there it is still sitting in the outbox. 
Those are things we can't control, but some things we can control. The message tonight that I want to give you is something that we control. If you give me 37 more minutes and I'll convey this message to you, we will send it and receive this message. So don't leave. Don't walk out. Stay with me. I know there's food next door and it's tempting, but just open your ears tonight and receive this message that never was sent. Lord, I just ask that you allow me to deliver this message the way you gave it to me. Lord, let us open our ears to receive, our hearts to receive this message that we can apply it to our lives. Lord, and let it encourage us. Let it be something that shakes us, that moves us forward, that we can look back to, we can feel good about because we can know that you love us and that we care and that we're important and that we mean a lot to you. So, Father, this message Help me to deliver it the way you gave it to me. So the message centers around John the Baptist. Welcome, Woods. <laughs> Love y'all. That's okay. Glad to see y'all here. Oh, my goodness. Lee Kishner. Lee Kishner. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Lee Kishner. We just ask that you... Wrap your arms around them. Deliver them. Speedy recovery. Protection, Lord God. Lord, whatever is wrong, we know that you're the great physician. Lord, we lift your name up, the name of Jesus. No other name is as powerful as the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the healings that are taking place, the healings that are being manifested even while I preach in the, li in the lives of those here in the room, Lord God. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. So John the Baptist, John was the preparer of the way. He went before Jesus. He made the way straight. John set the course for Jesus to arrive on the scene. And John's MO, his mission objective, was set before he was even born. John was the one who cried, repent from your sins and have faith toward God. He was the one who brought the message of repentance. John's father, Zacharias, and his mother was Elizabeth. The angel appeared to Zacharias while he was ministering in the temple, and he began to tell about John. And he said, John is going to be a mighty, a mighty man. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. He's going to go in the power and the anointing of Elijah. He's going to make the way straight. And Zacharias said, how do I know? This is going to happen. You know, when you have a 12-foot angel speaking to you, <laughs> it wasn't just any angel. This was Gabriel. He said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And God sent me to give this message to you. And Zachariah said, well, how do I know it's going to come true? He's a 12-foot angel. You know, it's not real. So he, the angel said, you'll be mute until he's born. And his name will be John. And when he was born, he pinned the name John immediately. His mouth was open. But, but to Zacharias and Elizabeth, John was special. To Zacharias and Elizabeth, the Bible says that they were well in age. They, they were well stricken in age. And she was barren. She had went all of her life and hadn't had a child. So just know how much they wanted John, how much they cared for John when he came too. You see, I was not supposed to be born 
In fact, um, I have a sister that's five years older than me that's adopted because I was not supposed, my parents were not supposed to have children. And they were a little stricken in age, not well stricken in age when they had me. But my sister needs prayer right now. We'll pray for her later. She's, she's having a rough time. The doctors gave a bad report, but we don't believe the doctor's report. We believe God's report. And God says she's going to walk out of that hospital in Jesus' name. So, so John was also the first person in the Bible to be filled with the Spirit. We can look at it in Luke 1.15. In Luke 1.15, it says, For he will be great, and this is the angel Gabriel speaking to Zacharias. He said, He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall neither drink wine or strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even in his mother's womb. So we, if we read into the story, we know that, that Elizabeth withheld the fact that she was pregnant for five months and then six months she said, okay, I'm pregnant. So the angel had also appeared to Mary at this time and told her about Jesus. Now when Mary went over to see Elizabeth, the Bible says that Mary saluted Elizabeth. She acknowledged, she said, hey, Liz, what's up? And the Holy Spirit made the baby in Elizabeth's womb jump because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So even at an early age, John was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she began to prophesy as well. So we see this amazing story unfolding about John the Baptist. John was baptizing people in the Jordan River, and as he was baptizing people in the Jordan River, Jesus came by, his third cousin, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That must have been an amazing moment for John. John got to acknowledge, John got to introduce Jesus to the whole world. Could you imagine how John felt? John didn't only introduce Jesus to the world. John identified Jesus as the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Imagine how important John felt, how humbled John felt to be able to introduce Jesus to the world. But then we fast forward 16 months later. 16 months later in Luke chapter 7, it says that John was in prison. You see, John told Herod a message that Herod didn't want to hear. John told Herod, you can't take your brother's wife and be married to your brother's wife. He said, you're living in adultery. You know, if we preach against adultery, we better be ready to give our heads on a platter. It's not easy to make friends when you preach like that. But sometimes we have to expose evil. But it has to be done in a proper way. It has to be done out of love. We do it out of love and compassion. But John had a mission. John had a purpose he was on. So he went and he told Herod, you're living in adultery. So Herod had him thrown in prison because that was a message that Herod didn't want to hear. And it infuriated Herod's wife because John openly accused her, openly humili humiliated her. So she had him thrown in prison. 
in one night at a party, Herod got very drunk. And to show you just how perverse the situation was, Herod's wife had her own daughter come out and dance for Herod the king. And Herod was impressed. Herod turned to his wife and said, because she impressed me, I'll give you half, up to half of anything in my kingdom. And Herod's wife already had an answer. She said, I want John's head on a platter. I want John's head on a platter. So John was in jail. John had just 16 months earlier introduced Jesus to the world. Felt good about himself and he was now in jail, in chains, and the clock was ticking. He knew that he could be executed at any time. So one night, two of John's disciples came to him. And John told him, as he was in chains behind bars, he said, I want you to go and find Jesus. He told his two disciples, go and find Jesus. And I asked him, does he know I'm in jail? Do you know I'm fixing to die? Do you know I'm in chains? I'm behind bars. And, and also, are you the one? John, John had just identified Jesus as the lamb that was slain, to be slain. But now he's in, in chains. Now he's behind bars. Now circumstances have changed. Things have changed. It didn't go out as John planned. His plans changed. It, the way that he saw his life going forward wasn't what he expected. So he said to his disciples, go and ask Jesus, are you the one? Are you really the one? Or do I need to look for another? So those two disciples went and they found Jesus. And they probably told him, Jesus, John wants to know if you're the one. But the Bible says that Jesus went on doing what he was doing. It says that the the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the lepers was cleansed, and the dead were raised, and the poor had the gospel preached to them. So Jesus was having a healing service. Jesus was preaching the gospel. Jesus was teaching the gospel. Jesus was doing what he did best, performing miracles. Jesus didn't ignore, but he didn't answer the question. And then it says, at the end of the hour, The Bible says he turned around, and I think it was almost with an attitude like, oh, you're still here? So he turned around, and he saw him, and he says, you go tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. You go tell John. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the leopards are cleansed, and the dead are raised. And oh, by the way, by the way, blessed is he who's not offended by me. You see, John was starting to question because of the circumstances. But this is the key, key verse that I wanted to share. This is the verse that I keyed this sermon off of. You could put it up, um, Luke 7, 24. Luke 7, 24. It says, when the messengers of John departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. You see, the messengers didn't hear the message. The messengers, the, the, 
the two disciples of John didn't hear the message that Jesus said about John. They left and they went tell John exactly what Jesus said, but then Jesus started talking about John. Jesus began to say how great John was, how outstanding John was. He paid him a compliment that the disciples never heard, and he gave a compliment that John never heard. He said, out of all the men born of women, there is none greater than John. There's none greater than John. John never got to hear that message. The disciples didn't even hear that message. But I want you to hear that message tonight. This is the unsent message. This is the message that I want to convey to you. Is Jesus' perspective of us. He said, out of all the men born of women, there is none greater than, than John the Baptist. Can you imagine how that would have encouraged John if John was in prison? John knew, okay, the message that Jesus sent, he knew that Jesus was the one. But John still had to face torment. John still was in chains. John still was behind bars. John still had to face the guillotine. But can you imagine if he would have heard, there's none greater, no man born of women was greater. That would have encouraged John. I think John, if John would have heard that message, he would have shook the chains behind those bars. And just like Paul and Barnabas did when they were in chains and in prison, they were singing praises to God. I think John would have been that encouraged. But he didn't hear those encouraging words. Jesus began to brag on John, but John never heard those words. Even if you're behind bars, even if you're in a prison of pain, even if you're held by the chains of difficulty, if you're locked up spiritually in a prison, even if you're trying to get free from your past failures, guilt, and condemnation, Jesus has an encouraging word for us. Jesus has a message. I think if John would have heard that message, there were three key points that I want to share with you, three things that John would have pulled out of that message. The first point is you're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better. If John would have heard that message, he would have known, I'm doing better than I think I am. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. The brethren. So if the enemy is the accuser of the brethren, I want to be the complimenter of the brethren. I want to be, we need to be the encourager of the brethren. If Satan is going to go before us and accuse us before God, we need to take every opportunity we can to compliment and encourage each other. Jesus Christ loves you. No matter what issues you have, Jesus loves you. He loves you and he cares for you and he wants you to know that you're doing better than you think you are. Somebody needs to know today that you're doing better than you think you are. Somebody needs to know today that you're doing all right. Somebody needs to know that you may not be where you want to be, but you're not where you used to be. And you're going to get where you want to be by the grace of God in Jesus' name. Somebody give God some praise tonight. Somebody give God some praise for encouraging us, for lifting us up, for giving us a message that John never got to hear. You're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. 
You know, my old preacher told me one time, he told me a secret. He said, do you know how to get to heaven? And I want to tell you how to get to heaven. So now everybody's on the edge of their seat. I'll tell you a trick how to get to heaven. Don't quit going. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop going. Don't raise your hand. I'll ask a question. Who all in here knows if you're going to heaven? All, uh, most of us know if we're going to heaven or if we're not going to heaven. We know that if we die right now, if we'll make it to heaven or if we won't make it to heaven. Don't stop going to heaven. You know what it takes to go to heaven. Don't stop going. Those who endure to the end shall be saved. Don't give up. Ecclesiastics chapter 28, chapter 3, talks about 28 seasons in life. It talks about a season to be born, a season to die, a season to speak, a season not to speak. It talks about born, a time to die. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. There's a time to dance. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to plant. There's a time to gather. There's a time of peace and a time of war, a time to speak and a time to keep silent. One thing I never found, there's a time to quit. There's not a time to quit. This is not the time to quit. This is the time to go forward. This is the time to be encouraged. This is the time to know that God's going to equip us and encourage us and, and give us the tools we need to endure this life's troubles. So it's not the time to quit. Tell somebody this is no time to quit. You know, we don't know what people are going through. We don't know what prison that people are in. We don't know what depression people are dealing with. We don't know what fears they're facing or financial burdens that they're carrying. We don't know if somebody just got a diagnosis with cancer. We don't know the person sitting next to us. But I want you to know that you're doing better than you think you are. Even though you may be behind bars, even though you may be pressed down, you're blessed. No matter where you are, you're blessed. If John would have heard that, I really believe he would have rattled those chains. If he would have just heard, you're doing better than you think you are. And some might say, but pastor, I got a disease. I got a sickness. I'm a single mom. I'm under a financial struggle. I'm not here to beat you up or judge you in the season of life that you're in. But I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to tell you that you're doing better than you think you are. No matter where you are, you're doing better than you think you are. You're stronger than you seem. You're smarter than you think. And you're braver than you believe. You're doing better than you think you are. Some may say, well, Pastor, how do you know that I'm doing better than you think you are, than, than I think I am? How do you know that? You're not in a crack house. You're not in a drug house. You're not in a jail house. You're not in a funeral home. You're in the church of God. You're in the house of God, and you're doing better than you think you are. You could have been anywhere, but you're in the house of God, and you're listening to me preach. And if we're listening by audio, of this recorded message, you're listening to me preach. So you're doing better than you think you are. Something inside of us has to say, if I fall forward, I'm going to fall toward God. 
If I fall, I'm going to fall to God. I'm going to get up and I'm going to run to God if I fall because the accuser is going to go and he's going to go before the throne of God and he's going to try to throw mud on us. He's going to accuse us before God, but we have to beat him to the throne. We have to get up, dust ourselves off and go to the throne. You know that we have 72 muscles that it takes for us to smile. And we have 108 muscles that it takes to frown. So look at your neighbor and say, let's get lazy and smile a little bit. <laughs> Be encouraged today. Be encouraged today. I'm tired of the devil discouraging us, beating us up, pulling us down, depressing us. When God is trying to say, you're doing better than I think you are. We're our own worst enemy sometimes. We sin, we mess up, and we go run hide. Why don't we go to the throne? Why don't we beat the enemy to the throne of God? Why don't we get up and dust ourselves off and fall forward and run to God? We can't let the enemy beat us. We can't let the enemy press us down. So my first point was you're doing better than you think you are. My second point is you matter more than you think you do. You matter more than you think you do. I want to turn to Isaiah 41, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah 41, 6 and 7. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. This is a story about some guys working together. You know, I enjoy going to work when I'm working with optimistic, encouraging people. When we have a work day at church, we're around brothers. We're encouraging each other. We're saying, man, you're doing a great job. That looks awesome. God is using you. That, when we go on the streets and evangelizing, it's an encouragement. The Bible says as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen the countenance of his brother. When we rub on each other, we sharpen in each other up. This story, everyone helped his neighbor. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, it's ready for the solder. Then he fastened it with the pegs that it might totter. I want you to catch something in here. The scripture says that the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith. The goldsmith encouraged the guy who had the hammer, and the guy who had the hammer encouraged the guy who had the nail. They were encouraging each other. They were saying, you matter. You matter. You matter. We're doing a good thing. You matter. And why were they encouraging each, each other? That it might not totter. That it might not totter. The definition of totter is to wobble, to stagger, or to be in a feeble manner or to fall down. God doesn't want any of us to totter. God doesn't want any of us to, to wobble and fall down. God wants us to stand strong. And sometimes to stand strong, that takes a little encouragement from a neighbor we have to be the neighbor we have to be the one to encourage our brothers God wants you to know tonight that you matter that you are better than you think you are doing better than you think you are and that you matter I want to say to all the parents in here sometimes it's hard to raise children sometimes it's hard to do the parent thing sometimes it's hard to make the decisions in the house Sometimes it's hard to carry the family, but you matter. You matter. You matter in your child's life. You are an inspiration 
to others who are looking to you as an example. My dad passed away three years ago. And before he passed away, I was able to tell him, Daddy, you mattered to me. When I was young, I told him, when I was young, I felt safe around you. You know, when we're around our parents, we can feel safe. We know that we're protected, that they won't let any harm come to us, that no matter what the circumstances, situations going on, you could have a fierce lion in front of you, you holding your daddy's hand, you know that that lion's not going to eat you. You know, you look at the kid at the zoo sitting on the dad's shoulders. This is something I always thought about with God sitting on his dad's shoulders in front of the lion's cage, and he's smiling and laughing, and he's not worried about that lion. He knows his dad's protecting him. Besides that, there's bars in front. But the kid doesn't realize the bars. The kid just knows that he's with his dad, and he has no fears in the world. And that's how we, be, that's how we are with God. We know that God's got our back, that we don't have to fear. We don't have to be scared. In fact, the Bible says he sets a table in the presence of our enemies. We can smile at our enemies. Because we can trust and know that God's not going to let anything happen to us. We're doing better than we think we are, and you matter to God. So I was also able to thank my dad for the advice that he gave me. He gave the best advice. In fact, I really believe that his spiritual gift was words of wisdom. I had family that would come over to my house just for my dad to give them advice. I had Guys that worked with my dad come to the house for him to give him advice. He was great at giving advice, even though I was a teenager and didn't listen to half of the advice he gave me. I still appreciated it. And I told him, Dad, you gave the best advice. Even after he had a stroke, I saw him grow strong spiritually. And it was an inspiration to me. I saw my dad at his weakest moment externally in the flesh at his strongest point spiritually. The Bible says that even though the outward man perished, the inward man is renewed day by day. I saw my dad strong with spiritual muscles at the end of his life. And I told him, Dad, you matter. You matter to me and you matter now. And when he passed away, he passed away with a smile on his face. And he passed away in peace. And it was the peace of God that was on his life. Sometimes... We go through prison experiences ourselves. We may be behind bars of, of bondage. We may be behind pain, chains. And, and through those experiences, we begin to think, do I really matter? Am I really important? It causes us to question our walk. It causes us to question ourselves. It causes, causes us to question our plans, our purposes. And I think that John thought that in prison when, when he looked and he had just identified Jesus as the lamb to take away the sins of the world, but yet here he was in prison in chains behind bars, fixing to be executed. And he thought, is he really the one? John needed encouragement. John needed to hear those words of encouragement by Jesus. We need to hear those words. And I'm telling you tonight, you matter. And you're doing better than you think you are. And God wants you to know that. God wants you to know just what John didn't hear. In fact, even Jesus, even Jesus needed encouragement. Don't look at me so holy. Don't look at me so holy. The Bible says that when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfigurations, that Elijah and Moses went and talked to Jesus. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think Jesus was tottering. I don't think he was wobbling and fixing to fall down. But I think Jesus was beginning to question his mission. I think Jesus was wondering, does it really matter if I go through this? Because I can see Moses stepping up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I had to lay my life down for the children of Israel to go into the promised land. And it mattered. And then I can see Elijah walking up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I had to be taken up in a chariot of fire, which is pretty cool. But I had to be taken up in a chariot of fire so that the double portion would go to Elisha. And Elisha would be able to do double the miracles that I did. And the anointing wasn't released until I was taken up. So they encouraged Jesus. And Jesus got encouraged. And the Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus, Jesus completed the assignment. He finished the work. And he was encouraged. He could have came off the cross at any time. But he looked and he saw each one of us personally. I believe he saw me. I believe he died for each one of us personally. I really believe that he had a glimpse of each one of our lives. And he laid down his life by choice. When you're in the thick of a storm, you begin to question. You begin to wonder that if we do, what we're doing matters. I wonder tonight who may be in your family, who may be in your life, who may be in your town or your community or your household, who may be thinking of suicide, who may be thinking of giving up, who may really need to hear these words, these words of encouragement. And we need to go to them and encourage them and tell them you matter. You matter more than you think you matter. I heard just at work last week a story of a, a girl that was 15 years old that got bullied at school and committed suicide. Does it really, is it really that bad? I mean, yes, it is bad. It's horrible. But somebody should have told that girl, you matter more than those bullies. You mean more than what they say. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe them because you matter. Jesus' perspective of John was, John, you had so much potential and you made a difference, and you impacted my life. That was Jesus' perspective of John, and John didn't get it. John didn't hear it. I think John knew it, but if John would have heard it, how it would have encouraged him. And that's Jesus' perspective of us. Oftentimes, we think of the wrath of God. Oh, God, you know, I messed up, and then we go hide instead of knowing the loving God that wants to say, you're doing okay. I know God is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, to most of us, and we're going to get to heaven, and our mouth will just drop. It's like, really? And not expecting it. Not expecting it, but God knows that we're not perfect. That doesn't give us the, op the, the right to sin, but God knows we're not perfect, and sometimes we're our own worst enemy, and we beat ourselves up. God doesn't want us to beat ourselves up. It says, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. No condemnation. Don't let the enemy come and condemn you. Don't let the enemy bring condemnation. The enemy couldn't live in heaven with God. 
without sin and without the devils. And we have to remind him of that. We have to say you couldn't live in heaven without sin and without the devil. And here we are living on earth with sin and with devils all around us. Don't come and condemn me. We have to put the devil back in his place. We have to encourage each other. We have to tell them while we're alive, not after we pass away and say, wow, that was a great person. We have to tell them while, I'm, while we're alive. Look at your neighbor and say, you matter more than you think you do. Look at your other neighbor and say, other neighbor, you matter more than you think you do. Okay, the third, the third thing I want to share. The first was you matter more than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. The second was you matter more than you think you do. The third is it's more about the big picture. It's more about the big picture. The message that John never heard, it's more about the big picture. It's not all about you, John. But John, you played a very important part in unfolding the kingdom of God. It's not all about you, John, but there's a bigger picture coming. Sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. We can be driving through the forest and can't see the forest. I, I had a friend who was going to a mountain and he was driving up this little mountain road and all he seen was trees, 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 trees until he got to the top. And at the top it was open and there were no trees and he could see for miles and miles and miles and miles. And he looked back and looked at the forest that he had just drove through. But he couldn't see the forest when he was going through it. And sometimes life situations will overwhelm us. Sometimes life circumstances will overwhelm us. And all we'll see is the circumstance in front of us. But there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger plan. There's a plan and a purpose that God has for each and one of our lives. And we can't let the circumstances stop us. Because the enemy wants to... to Throw the circumstances at us. The enemy wants to take our eyes off of God, off of the plan, off of the purposes for our lives and stop us from doing what God would have us to do. You know, when we get born again, that's awesome. That's amazing. We give our lives to God. We feel the weight of sin lifted. It's a great time. And then when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's like shoving your finger in an electrical socket. I mean, it's amazing. All of a sudden, we feel God. We hear God's voice speaking to us. It's wonderful, but it's not, that's not it. In heaven, we have a Father who loves to see us living an abundant life. Donna did a great teaching tonight on living an abundant life. Abundant life is God's promise, but it's our choice. God promises to give us a life of abundance, but it's our choice to pick it up, pick up the promises of God and to run with it. So, so we get born again. We get saved. We get born again. But the Bible says that we have a, a cloud of witnesses. We have loved ones that have passed away before us that I believe look down and see us. And then God himself. And then when we get born again, it says all of heaven rejoices over one sinner giving his life to God. All of heaven goes berserk. They go wild over just one sinner. So it's more about us, it's more, but it's more than just about us. And the reason heaven goes berserk is because they know that we can't keep it to ourselves. 
We can't not tell people how good God is and how much he loves us and how he saved us. So heaven knows that there's going to be a mighty harvest coming from us for when we get saved. So they see a bigger picture than we see. Sometimes all we see is us. Sometimes all we see is us needing to get saved or us getting saved. But it's a bigger picture. I thought about Adam and Eve this week when I was at work. I thought, God, it was just two people. Why didn't you just wipe them out and start over? Why they, Two people that were messed up and broken, they made a mistake. Just wipe them out and start all over. That makes sense, right? I mean, just two people. And God told me, he said, I don't repair. I don't replace damaged goods. I repair damaged goods. I don't replace broken products. I repair broken products. God doesn't want to replace us. He wants to repair us. He wants us to make us beautiful in the broken places of our lives. He wants to bring beauty into our lives. He doesn't want to replace us. God's not a replacer. He's a repairer. He doesn't break us, but he fixes the broken. God's not into replacing damaged marriages. God wants to repair damaged marriages, damaged lives, damaged people, damaged relationships. God wants to bring beauty into the brokenness. The past is the past. The past is the past. But if you're in a bad marriage or relationship or you need some TLC from God, I want, to, I want you to know tonight that God's in the repair business. He's not in the business to replace. God wants us to fix us. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that we go to. That's the kind of God that, that said that of all the women, men born of women, there was none greater than John. That's the kind of God that thinks about us in that perspective. He thinks about us that we're doing better than we think we are. That we really, really matter to him. And that there's a bigger picture unfolding around us and we're part of it. I want to read this story. I apologize for not having it in my head. We had a busy week this week. One day there was a man on the side of the road. His car broke down. He had the hood up and a big limousine pulled up behind him and the man got out. He was dressed from head to toe like a million bucks. He walked over in his suit and said, do you need some help? And he said, yes. He looked up under the hood and said, when I tell you, you just sit in there and hit the ignition, cut the car on when I tell you. So the man in the suit did something under the hood and he looked at the guy and said, okay, go ahead and try it now. And when he tried it, it started right up. The man said, my goodness, how did you do that? How much do I owe you? A man like you dressed in a suit, driving up in a limousine, coming to help a guy like me. The man said, you don't owe me a thing. He said, my name is Henry Ford. And he said, I'm the creator of this car you're driving. And it really bothers me to see one broke down on the side of the road, not one, not broke down on the side of the road, not doing what I created it to do.
I'm trying to tell you today that God wants to repair you. God doesn't want to replace you. It bothers God to see us not living life the way that God designed us to live it. Not living the life of abundancy. Just as Donna talked about the abundant life teaching. It bothers God not to see us taking the scriptures that he's given us and putting it into practice and applying it. God has an abundant life to give us. And we just have to receive it. All we have to do is receive it. But God wants us to know that we're doing good. He wants us to know that you're doing better than you think you are. That you matter to him. That you're the apple of his eye. He looks at us with love. When he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of God. Righteousness is a status. Holiness is a process. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, his blood covers us from head to toe. When God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees the righteousness of God. Holiness is a process that we walk in. The Bible says, be ye holy even as I am holy. And we're not perfect, but we're in a, a process that teaches us to sin less. But we'll never be sinless because even our righteousness is, is filthy rags before God. But God sees Jesus' righteousness. So when we're righteous, it's like slipping on shoes when you wake up in the morning. We step into righteousness when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So I encourage you tonight. I encourage you tonight that you're doing good just to be here. I encourage you tonight that God has his eye on you and you're the apple of his eye. He wants to see you favor. He wants you to be blessed beyond belief. He wants you to walk in favor. He wants grace and mercy to follow you all the days of your lives. He wants everything you touch to prosper in Jesus' name. Just as Joseph prospered in the prison, just as Joseph prospered in Egypt, just as Joseph prospered, God wants you to prosper on the job. God wants you to prosper in the city. God wants you to prosper with your family. God wants to prosper you in your health. God wants to prosper you in your finances. And all we have to do is receive it and say, thank you, Father. Stand up with me right now and let's give God some praise. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord God. Lord, there's none like you. We thank you, Father, for sending your son to die on the cross for us. We thank you for sending this message contained in your word to encourage us. We thank you that we're not going to let the accuser throw mud on us and discourage us and block us from the throne of God. Heavenly Father, we come and we say we're sorry because we messed up, but we fall forward and we run to you, Lord God. We will not let the enemy stop us, slow us down, distract us, stop us from doing what we were planned and called and purposed to do. Lord, we, we pick up the plan, the process, the mission, mission objective. Lord, we pick up your will for us. We are faithful and available and teachable and obedient. Humble ourselves before you, Lord God. Lord, everyone under the sound of my voice tonight, I just ask that you open up the big windows of heaven and you pour out blessings on them because of their obedience, because of their faithfulness, because they set time out of their day, Lord God, to come and to know more about you and to learn more about you and that speaks volumes Lord God so don't let the enemy we bind the enemy right now that would come and attack them in their health attack them in their finances attack them in their daily jobs attack them in their household we bind the enemy and his tactics over everyone in this room today Lord God I thank you and I praise you because you're the king of kings you're the Lord of lords Lord you created us 
and you created us to live an abundant life, not a life pressed down, not a life in bondage, not a life in depression, not a life in fear, but a life in favor, a life in victory, a life or overcoming life, an abundant life. Lord, we thank you and we praise you, Lord God. We praise you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. I'm going to be here if anybody needs specific prayers. Everybody else is dismissed. We can walk next door. We have plenty of food next door. I'm going to go ahead and say the grace real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the food that was provided.